be finding a copy of Scripture, be getting your notes that were in the bulletin today. Find Psalm 103, the Song of the Redeemed. Let's talk about a couple of things before we begin with Psalm 103. Uh, I have those listed on your notes. First, if you recall earlier in our study of the Psalms, how Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 go together. Well, Psalm 103 and 104 go together in much that same kind of way. Psalm 103 extols and praises God based upon his acts of redemption. Psalm 104 praises and extols God based on his acts of creation. Both of those psalms begin and end with the uh, phrase, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And both of them praising God from our whole heart based upon his acts. Second, this psalm has as its background a warning from Deuteronomy 8. Now, remember Deuteronomy is the second law giving. This is at the time that the uh, children of Israel are poised to go into the promised land. The old generation has died off. The new one has come along. And Moses is telling the people the second time, the second law giving, getting these people prepared uh, to follow God. And he gives them this solemn warning in Deuteronomy 8. And the gist of the warning is, look, you're going to go in and God is going to make you thrive. And you're going to be prosperous. And in the midst of that prosperity, in the midst of that thriving, don't become a people who forget God. Don't become a people who think that you're the one that has done all this stuff. In other words, don't become proud because proud, uh, pride is a killer. I, I kind of call this the uh, fat and sassy warning. It's like he's saying, you know what? You get all up in there and you get prosperous and you forget God and you get all fat and sassy with yourself and you forget it's God that did this for you. It's not your stuff. It's God that does that. And so we need to be careful uh, that we don't get all fat and sassy and think we're something. God does all of this stuff for us. All right, and then third, I mentioned this psalm is authored by King David. It was most likely written late in his life as he reflects upon his life with God. Uh, God had been good to him. It comes from a place, and I love this, it comes from a place of mature faith. It comes from a lifetime of following God. Most scholars think that David had just recovered from some kind of illness, uh, especially since he extols the healing power that God had provided him. But this is, this is a peek into the heart of the man that God says is a man after God's own heart, after my own heart. And it's really a, a phenomenal psalm. Now, think about this author for with me for a minute. Think about David. David was a true hero of Israel. As a young man, he defeated Goliath. He served under King Saul as a mighty warrior, and he rose up in those ranks and became to Israel this mighty warrior. He became king of Israel at age 30. He reigns about 40 years until his death. And under David, the house of Israel more fully occupied the promised land than at any time before. He was daring. He was devoted. He was determined to serve God faithfully. 
But David was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. His most notable and grievous sins were those of adultery and murder. He failed as a father in many ways. His personal, train, or his personal household was a train wreck. The Bible faithfully records his achievements and his imperfections. And I am so glad it does. Because it tells us God can use imperfect people to accomplish his purposes if we're willing to let him. So think about this mature, seasoned, veteran believer as we read through this psalm, Psalm 103. Let's read. Of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's the word of God, let's pray. Father, we lift this word to you. We know your word will not return void. We praise you that you're our loving Father, that you have much to teach us today. I pray that you find within us open hearts, willing minds, ears that hear, that we may take the beauty of your word, reflect upon it, and see change in our lives because we've been under the authority of Scripture. Open our eyes. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you've ever gone to the lake and launched a boat of some kind, uh, you've no doubt encountered an area bordered by buoys like these. A no-wake zone, an area that means that although you're ready to take off full steam in your boat, there's something that needs to be addressed before you move on. Uh, There's some shallow places, there's some rocks hidden underneath, there's a swimming area, it's too congested. For whatever reason, there's a no-wake zone there, and you've got to proceed with caution. Psalm 103 has a built-in no-wake zone. That doesn't mean you go to sleep. 
But you need to stay awake for something here. You need to be aware of something. Pay careful attention. There's an area of extreme caution to consider before we launch full steam ahead into the study of these verses. I sense in this psalm a dangerous rock below the surface of the water. And we need to be aware of it. As we read these verses, you saw the phrases over and over again about the forgiveness of sins. How God deals graciously in regard to an our iniquity or our sin. But I want you to look down at verse 18. Look at that. The psalmist is describing the steadfast love of the Lord and who that love is for. And he keeps saying, those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Now, if you keep his commandments and you keep his covenants, why do you even have sin? Aren't those things designed so that you won't have sin at all in your life? Do you see the problem here? The keeping of the commands and the, the, the idea of sin, they don't mix. They don't fit. Let me explain what I'm getting at this way. In 1992, Bill Clinton ran a successful campaign against a popular sitting president, George H.W. Bush, Daddy Bush. Bush was extremely popular, had high approval ratings, but he defeated Clinton was, defeated him by using a slogan that was never supposed to have been made public. It's the economy, dummy. In other words, what Bush was failing to realize, though he had great success in foreign policy areas, the people of the American uh, country were feeling the pinch in their pocketbook. They were not doing so well economically. And so by camping out on the economy, the economy, the economy, the economy, Bill Clinton ran a campaign that unseated someone that was extremely popular. Well, see, what we see here in this disconnect between the keeping of the commandments and the forgiveness of sins can be summed up in a slogan of sorts. It's the gospel. 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 We got to go back to the gospel each time we take and consider part of Psalm 103. This psalm and these verses only fit and make sense when seen through the gospel. See, you and I can never keep all the commands of God perfectly because we're sinners. We've heard it a zillion times here before. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's our nature. It's who we are. We can't be perfect. We need a substitute. We need Christ Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live, died the death we deserved in order to purchase both our forgiveness and our righteousness. We take hold of that forgiveness and righteousness when we repent and believe the gospel. If we don't view this psalm through the lens of the gospel, we'll mistakenly see some nice platitudes about God without truly understanding that these verses describe a life characterized by faith and an obedient walk with the Lord. It's only through the acceptance of the gospel, the following of Jesus, that God is our Father, that he lavishes forgiveness, and that all the benefits of God are realized. So be sure this morning that you don't miss the good news that Jesus came to seek and save you. Be certain of your relationship with Christ this morning. Know that you're his disciple. Okay, that's our no-wake zone. We passed it. So let's see what we can learn from this tremendous psalm. This work is easily divided into three stanzas. Stanzas one through five. They're going to answer for us the question, how should I praise? 
in stanzas or in uh, verses 6 through 19, that second stanza. What is God like? And then the third stanza, 20 to 22, who should praise this God? In the very first verse, look at the verse, bless the Lord, O my soul. And we see that, remember, in the beginning and the end of Psalm 103, the beginning and the end of Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The New Living Translation says this, bless the Lord, I tell myself. Bless the Lord, I tell myself. We can't overemphasize how important this is. This is the psalmist. This is David talking to himself. This is the man that God described as a man after my own heart. He's talking to himself and bringing himself to a point of praise to God. It's an Old Testament um, application of a New Testament principle uh, of uh, Romans 12.2 where Paul says, uh, don't be conformed any longer to this world, but be renewed or be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, David is renewing his mind. In a very real sense, this is important, in a real sense, we'll never move in our lives and our Christian walks beyond what we allow ourselves to think about. Did you get that? In a very real way, we never move beyond our Christian, in our Christian walks, beyond what we allow ourselves to to think about. We've got to be people who renew our minds. And we have here built in a pattern for how to renew our minds. And so let's follow David's pattern. See how he renews his mind, how we should renew our mind. So how should I praise? From verse one, wholeheartedly. He says, all that's within me, not just part of me, all that's within me, time, attention, care are to be given to praise. It takes concentration. It takes time apart. It takes time free from the distractions of phone, television, the computer. It takes time to withdraw. And then you've got to do some talking to yourself. You've got to praise wholeheartedly. Verses 2 to 5 tell us that we praise not only wholeheartedly, but we praise wholeheartedly remembering what God has done. Here in particular, what he's done for me, what he's done for you. We recount to him what he's done in our lives. Forget not all all his benefits, he says. And he begins to list them one by one. These are the blessings that David personally experienced and every believer has also experienced as well. Number one. All sin is forgiven. Sins of commission, things that we did. Sins of omission, things we didn't do. Even our original sin, forgiven. All our iniquities are forgiven. It's right that this should be first on the list. It's huge. It's huge. I think we underestimate our need of forgiveness in this age of slogans like, well, nobody's perfect. There is human. I'm only human. The humanism of our culture has so filled us with its rationalization of and acceptance of evil that even we as Christians Christianize our acceptance of sin. We say things like, "Mm, it's just all about grace. It's just all about grace. Or we just have to love the sinner or love the sinner and hate the sin. 
Uh, you really should see this movie, or you should hear this joke, but there's some things you've got to overlook here, and so, you know, you just got to kind of get past some of that stuff. Well, you want to know God's opinion of sin? Look at the cross. He poured out his wrath for our sin on his son. It was brutal. It was harsh. His opinion of sin is that it brings death. It brings destruction. All sin brings death. We must not wink at it. Paul spent a great deal of time in the, uh, in the first five chapters of Romans talking about this grace that we receive through faith and, 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 and this tremendous salvation we have. And then, he's, and then he goes into chapter 6 talking about, well, then what do we do? And chapter 6, he says, well, what about sin? Are we to continue in it that grace may abound so that we know more of this grace? And he says, God forbid it. By all means, no. Perish the thought. We've got to run from sin. Remembering from, uh, that through his son we have forgiveness. All right, two. All diseases are healed. Now, think about this. This is poetry. So it doesn't mean you're never going to get sick. David obviously got sick finally and died. This is poetry. It means anything you got over is a direct result of God working in your life. You had a paper cut this week, you didn't bleed out. You had a cold last winter, you didn't die from your cold. God gave you the ability to be healed. He healed your body. Number three, redeem from the pit. This pit is either deliverance from some season of despair and sin or uh, it's from hell itself. We've been delivered from hell because of his forgiveness. Now, we have been redeemed and removed from some things, but we are given some things. Number four, crowned with love and mercy. We get this love and mercy added. The love and mercy of God extended through Christ means we're, ne- we're ever in his thoughts and on his mind and ever the center of his attention. Number five, the fifth benefit, satisfied with good and youth renewed. He fills us with his joy so that at every age, even old age, we can be vibrant people renewed inwardly with his presence. I've listed some verses that relate to this inward beauty and renewal. 2 Corinthians 4.16 talks about how uh, Paul talks about he's outwardly wasting away. The older we get, I see the wasting. We're outwardly wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. First uh, Peter 3, 3-4 through 4 describes the true beauty of a woman who crowns her inner being godliness and righteousness you know what God says of that woman that is inner beauty and inner righteousness he says it's precious in his sight it's precious in his sight so we praise wholeheartedly we praise with a mind remembering all that God has done David moves in the next stanzas to recalling what God is like. So he's praised him for the things that God has done for him. And then he begins to recount what God has done to Israel in the history of God's dealing with mankind. So 
he starts saying things about what he has revealed to Moses and through the prophets. Number one, God is holy and sovereign. I see that in verses 6, 17, and 19. He uses words like righteousness, justice, steadfast, kingdom rule, and so on. They indicate his holiness, his sovereignty over creation, his majesty, his eternality. Notice how verse 15 shows we're not anywhere on the same level as God. We're the created. He's the creator. We're sinners. He's holy. Number two, he's full of eternal love for his people. I see that in verses 8, 11, 17. Words like mercy, grace, compassion. He knows our frame. They show us a God that loves eternally. Notice also how deeply he loves. As far as the heavens are above the earth. Now think about that for a minute. As far as the heavens are above the earth. We're not talking just to the blue. Just run on out to the edge of space. Oh, wait. Scientists tell us the space is ever increasing. You'll never get there. You can never outrun his infinite love. You can never find the depths of it. In Ephesians uh, 3, 18 and 19, Paul describes a prayer, or he prays a prayer, praying that these people will understand the depth and width and height and length of the love of God. Ponder the love of God for you and for me. Number three, he forgives deeply and completely. I see that in verses 9, 10, and 12. As far as the east is from the west is how far our sins have been removed from us. Have you ever considered that statement? As far as the east is from the west? I want you to look at a little picture I've got up here of the world. And I want us to think. Start any place on the planet and travel due north. Okay? Travel due north. As you travel due north, eventually... You're going to reach the North Pole. Continue. What will you become? Where will you be traveling? South. In the same way, start any place on the globe, go due south. You go under the globe, south then becomes north. South and north meet. But think about this start anywhere on the globe and go west, any place. You'll circle and circle and circle. And circle, you will never find east. Never. They will never meet. Same way, go east. You go around that globe as many times as you want. You will always be traveling east. It speaks to the infinite. It speaks to how far they are. They're infinitely apart from one another. That's the picture of our sins forgiven by God. That's the sufficiency of the cross. Now, I want you to... Take the cool factor here. The ancient world had no idea the earth was round. No clue. It would only be from the inspiration of Almighty God that they would pick east to west. Why not pick north to south? Because the divine wrote the scripture. Cool. It's just cool. So God grants complete removal of sin through his son. Also, He doesn't nag us over our past. He doesn't bring up our old sins over and again. It's not like fighting with someone. 
He doesn't repay us according to our, our iniquities. In other words, that little lie you told this week, he didn't strike you with lightning. He gave you a window of mercy and grace to confess and to repent. All right, and now number four. He expects obedience. I see that in verses 11, 13, 17, 18. Notice how many times he says, those who fear him, those who fear him. He forgives us when we repent of our sins, believe in Christ, and obey his word as we follow Jesus. Remember that no-wake zone at the beginning? It's the gospel. Those who fear him are believers. And as he demonstrates through all his dealings with mankind, he first forgives and redeems and restores and fills with his spirit. And then he calls for obedience. Remember, he's a compassionate father. So his expectation of obedience comes for his love for us. He knows what's best for us. He created us. He's not some cosmic killjoy just out to make your life miserable. He knows how your life works. And as we obey him, our life works. It's best for us. Again, look back at these four points. Do you see the gospel in them? God is holy. We're sinners. He loves the world and he sent his son. When we accept him, he forgives. And then he calls us to a life of obedience. He calls us to be his disciples, his followers. Okay, finally, who should praise him? We see this in the last stanza from verses 20 to 22. First, all the angels in the mighty armies of heaven. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Second, his people. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his people. Third, all creation. Bless the Lord, all his works. All of creation speaks to the glory of God. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Finally, me. I should praise God. You should praise God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, I tell myself. We need to join the angels, the rest of God's people, and all creation by praising him wholeheartedly. Remembering all he's done for us. Remembering and recounting all that God is like. Let's pray. Father, we bless you this morning. We want to stir our hearts to bless you and praise you and worship you. Father, there are some in this room who maybe have never begun a relationship with you. And they need to worship you today by accepting your son, by repenting and believing. Father, there are those of us who need to renew our worship, who need to renew our mind, who need to remember all you've done for us and become worshipers and heed your call of obedience in our lives. Father, whatever uh, you want to do, we pray your spirit would move in our lives and we uh, Pray that we bring you honor.